What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the, well, it's now the early morning hours of Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. But we're breaking down Monday's Cardinal game. And honestly, not going to get too deep into the weeds on the performance from the Cardinals offensively in this game. Wilson Contreras, good to see some life from him. He came up with a nice RBI hit and uh, drove in Brendan Donovan after a little small ball there in the top of the sixth inning. Alec Burleson, great to see him get the home run stroke to right field with a two-run shot to give the Cardinals their second and third runs of the game. But other than that, offensively, there's just not a lot to get to. On the pitching side, though, there is plenty to talk about from Monday night's 6-3 to loss to the Diamondbacks for the St. Louis Cardinals. Once again, the Cardinals failing to win the first game of a series. That has been a trend all season long, uh, I mistakenly tweeted there uh, initially thinking they had won the opener against the Blue Jays, but I was just looking at a strictly April calendar. Forgot about that pesky game in March that the Cardinals lost. So yeah, to this point through, what has it been, six, seven series of the year, they haven't won an opening game of a series at all. I don't know if that's anything to read into or what you make of that, but it is a trend that should I think be concerning for the Cardinals because even though the Cardinals don't look at it as, oh, we won the series, we lost the series, we, we split two out of four against the Pirates. Like, Ali Marmol answered a question the other night where he said, that's not really how we look at it. We play it day-to-day, -day and we want to go out there and win that day's game. But as fans, as media, we look at it from the outside and say, what's going on with this team? The trend says, right, they lost five of their last seven or what you know whatever it ends up being. The first game of a series is an interesting trend that the Cardinals have not been able to crack. And so when you go into the second game of a series, knowing that you're in a 1-0 hole, it's not very easy to make your way back out of that. They've only been able to do it a couple of times, right? They split with the Pirates. They end up coming back around and beating the Blue Jays in that opening series. But this is why you're looking at a Cardinals team right now that's 7-10, three games below 500 to begin the season. That's a trend that has not gone in their favor, and that continued on Monday. But I, I did mention that I wanted to focus in tonight on the pitching um, because we're going to evaluate Jack Flaherty's start, the good and the bad, uh, and there was some of both, but... The good really did outweigh the bad, I thought, for Jack Flaherty tonight. It was just a case of uh, picking some bad spots to make some mistakes and then maybe a case of him not having the chance to finish what he started. As anybody who was watching the Bally Sports Midwest broadcast and then was maybe on social media thereafter saw the video live. Maybe they saw it on Twitter with the GIF. Uh, Cardinals GIFs, I know, was all over it. Yeah, Jack Flaherty, if you can read lips, you know that he was not happy to be taken out of the game when he was tonight in the seventh inning after giving up a home run to Cattell Marte, giving up a double then to Gurriel, and then walking the next batter. It was not a situation that uh, was going swimmingly for Jack Flaherty, and the Cardinals wanted to get Andre Pallante into the game against a couple of left-handed batters coming up for Arizona. So we'll talk about Flaherty's outing, the way it ended, and uh, the way it started as well with some strangeness there. And Andre Pallante, what happens with him uh, another guy that the Cardinals have historically been able to rely upon, especially when it comes to facing left-handed batters. Uh, they kind of know to, what to expect in that situation, and that is not at all what happened tonight uh, when he faced first Corbin Carroll and then Pavin Smith, which broke open the game a grand slam. So we'll talk about those two pitchers in particular tonight on B-Shape Daily. But before we dive right into it, want to take a quick moment to remind you guys to subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Apple Podcasts and follow on Spotify. Help me out. That would be great if you could do that. And I'm over on YouTube as well. If you want a video version of the show, 
in the other Cardinals videos, the live videos that you'll only get uh, the live experience on YouTube. Subscribe for me over there, youtube.com slash at pshafer12. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, click that button. It's right there for you, and uh, then you won't ever miss a video. So that'll be great. All right, let's go ahead and jump right in, though, to evaluating this Jack Flaherty start from Monday. Uh, the box score, the line score, however you want to call it, it didn't look as good as I think Jack Flaherty actually pitched tonight. Six innings, and it's a six-plus because he does pitch into the seventh but does not record an out once he gets there. Six-plus innings, four runs, all earned, three walks, only four strikeouts, but he was pitching to some soft contact uh, for the most of the game. But the home run is one that he gives up as well, which uh, took a one-to-one game at the time, turned it back into a Diamondbacks lead, two-to-one there early on in the seventh inning. He faces three batters in that inning. I think it was 77 pitches when he entered the seventh. Gives up a home run and then a double and then walks uh, the final batter that he would face to set up Andre Pallante's opportunity to come into the game. But for Flaherty, it started, first of all, I want to start at the beginning because he had the situation occur that has happened to so many Cardinal starters this season. First inning, giving up a run. I don't know what is been the deal with this trend and why it's been happening. I know Cardinals fans want to ask about it and talk about it and think that there is some significance to it. And I can't blame you at this point because it's happened so darn often. seems like every time the Cardinals come up to bat at home, they're already trailing by at least one run when they do so. And that is frustrating. Uh, We've wondered at times if maybe the offense can kind of internalize that and feel that to an extent. And if it explains any of the struggles that they've had, uh, you know, maybe with runners in scoring position or just in general, uh, not generating enough runs, uh, at least as many as I think we'd expect from this lineup when we look at it on paper. So that's a frustration, I think, for the Cardinals. But the way it happened here was, again, I think a little bit interesting. Kind of like Miles Michaelis the other day, uh, you look at the way the game starts off and go, well, is that entirely on the starting pitcher? And in this case, is it entirely on Jack Flaherty? We're talking again about center field defense, and this is not really a topic that I that I ran by anybody tonight. Uh, kind of talking about the game. So I'm I'm just kind of airing these thoughts out myself for the first time. But I really think that Lars Nupar sort of just gave up on the route there on a ball that was obviously tagged pretty hard into left center field to begin the game uh, against Jack Flaherty. You don't want to be giving up that kind of contact to start the game, obviously. But uh, Josh Rojas begins the game by hitting one deep to left center field. And uh, you got Lars Nupar in center field today. You've got Tyler O'Neill in left which is fine. I'm fine with the alignment. I've said keep Tyler O'Neill in left. However, it was a lot of times when I was saying that it was relative to Dylan Carlson. Relative to Lars Newtbar, man, I might switch it. I might have O'Neill in center and Newtbar in left personally um, because I just don't know that Newtbar is getting the best reads on these balls. Uh, we saw the one with Michaelis the other day that uh, he, he's charging in on it, tries to make a diving play, and then it gets by him, goes for a triple, put the Cardinals behind the eight ball in that game, even though Michaelis really did not give up the type of contact that should have allowed a run in that first inning. Flaherty, this contact was hard, right? If, if you get a ball to the wall and it goes off the kind of the, the lower half of the outfield wall, clearly they tagged you pretty pretty decently. But I also thought if Newt Barr just legs this one out and really makes an attempt at it, instead of kind of slowing his feet at the end of the route and then looking to play the hop, which... I get it. You don't want to make a mistake that turns a double into a triple, but I don't think you're holding anybody to a single there, nor are you throwing a guy out at second base. It seemed to be what Newt was looking to do. Uh, Didn't get a chance to ask him about it after the game, but 
I feel like in that spot, if he runs full bore, granted, it's it's asking a lot to ask a guy to crash into a wall. But if he runs for that ball and, and doesn't break his stride at all, I think he might have a pretty decent chance of getting to it. Um, in that case, he, he holds up and, and allows it to go off the base of the wall for a double. And, you know, eventually the, the run does come around to score on Flaherty, a base hit thereafter. Scores one in the first inning, three pitches it took. And uh, suddenly the Cardinals were facing that 1-0 deficit again. But after that for Jack Flaherty, he was tremendous. I know that the bookends were bad. And when you end up going six-plus innings, it's a 6.0 in your in your stat book and four runs. That's not a quality start. Um, but he was quality for a lot of this game. Gave up those first two hits and then did not give up another hit until the seventh inning. So uh, had, had a few walks that were in there. I think it was two walks that were scattered between the third batter of the game and then the walk that he issued in the seventh. Other than that, it was 18 outs and two walks is pretty much all there was to write home about against Jack Flaherty, basically innings one through six, discounting the first two batters of the game, uh, which obviously reached base. He ended up getting a double play ball to get out of that first inning a little more easily, limiting the damage there, and he was cruising from there. I mean, this is easily the best you know five-inning stretch we've seen from any Cardinal starter this season, bar none. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, much better than the the day he had no hits when he when he left the game, right? Like Jack Flaherty was on his game. The fastball command was much better. Everything about what he was doing was better. He said after the game, uh, with, with regard to what was working for him, that they kept taking his curveball for strikes. So he and Wilson Contreras kept dialing it up and throwing more curveballs. Uh, the fastball command I asked him about, he said was was really good tonight, and it was also good in the last start for him. I asked him if it, if it was the best that it had been. He felt comparable in this start in the last one that he had when it comes to the fastball command. Uh, and I, I do think we've been seeing that incremental improvement from Jack. Uh, tonight, though, it felt like the results weren't bugging him in any way. He was getting through those innings with donuts thrown up on the board. Uh, he got some help. Good first base defense from Brennan Donovan. Uh, had a couple of stingers right out of line drives that he was able to catch. And so that helps. Maybe you, you give up that kind of hard contact. But if you scatter it and you don't notice it because it goes right to a glove, you maybe end up feeling better about your day. Um, seventh inning, though, of course, that was not the case and gives up the home run. And the way that Flaherty evaluated that one was that, hey, if a guy beats me backside, which means opposite field, uh, then so be it. But I, I think if you go back and if Jack would go back and look at that that swing on that pitch, it's a slider that's elevated in the strike zone. And typically, if you leave it up and it's, and it's in the strike zone, that is within the range for somebody to do damage on, especially a good hitter like Cattell Marte. Just because it goes backside, opposite field, to me, doesn't make it, you know. He said, hey, you tip your cap if somebody does that to you. But I think if he wanted that to be a slider that sort of backed up into the strike zone away from the left-handed hitter, it didn't quite accomplish that task. And when you add in the fact that it was elevated, right, up in the strike zone, that can spell danger. And, and it did for the the, the the swing there by Cattell uh, Marte, pardon me, ends up making it a 2-1 to one game. He tries to bounce back. The pitch to Guriel, honestly, I thought was a better pitch than the one that he made um, to uh, to Cattell Marte, but that's the one that he felt like was uh, maybe a pitch that he would wanted to change. I felt like it was maybe reversed 
compared to the way that Flaherty talked about it after the game, uh, that the Marte pitch maybe just had was too high to be uh, finding that much of the plate as it did. And then Gurriel beats him for a double. Uh, that was one that went not off the, the glove of the left fielder, O'Neill, but he was stretching out for it, trying to get to it. He was about three, four feet short on a leaping attempt there again in left center field. So really the three hits that came against Flaherty that were damaging today was the one in the first inning that Newt Bar sort of held up on in left center, ends up going for a double. Um, obviously, there was the base hit after that, but that wasn't, I don't even think that was significant contact. That was just bad timing for such a base hit because there was a guy already on second base. Uh, and, and then he goes first pitch swinging, I think it was, and, and knocks it into center field. Next thing you know, it's a one nothing game, run scores. But the other two were also into left center field. The home run goes in that direction, and then Tyler O'Neill. Uh, so they, they found gaps that it seems like the Cardinals hitters lately have not been able to find uh, in, in, the, in the somewhat spacious outfield at Bush Stadium. That's the way it goes. But what gets interesting for me is what happens there in the seventh inning, right? It's it's not a game that's out of hand. The Cardinals haven't been able to do much offensively, but I mentioned that Wilson Contreras came through in the sixth with uh, the hit to make it a one-to-one game. And so now you're dialed in. Yes, you give up the home run to Marte, but still a one-run game at that point. And even after you give up the double, Jack Flaherty talking about, well, the goal at that point is to try and limit the damage. Christian Walker takes the walk against Flaherty, and Dolly Marmel decided even though 90 pitches is where he was at, that was going to do it for Flaherty's day. And I think it was a reasonable decision. A couple of aspects to that decision, though, that we probably want to talk about. First of all, the decision to go with Andre Pallante specifically after we know that he's been dealing with some fatigue issues. And uh, I I think I'm going to play a clip of Dolly Marmel from after the game so you guys can hear his answer to the question that was asked. Uh, by Katie about, you know, he's been fatigued and you had to give him an extra day. It's why Jordan Hicks had to go into the game uh, in in unfortunate circumstances on Saturday when you really didn't want him to be a leverage reliever at this point. Why Andre Pallante on on a back-to-back at this point right after he had come off of dealing with some fatigue? Uh, That was asked by Katie to Ollie Marmel, and so I'll play that clip for you now. Here was Ollie's response uh, to using Pallante in that spot. Yeah, he actually felt really good today um, leading into that game. Um, gave him that extra day, uh, not yesterday, the day before, leading into using him yesterday. But, uh, yeah, we wouldn't have thrown him out there unless he was absolutely 100%. And so there you hear the reaction from Ali Marmel with regard to the physical aspect of the decision to go with Pallante there. Uh, yes, he had dealt with the fatigue, but insisting that he was good and ready to go. And to Andre Pallante's credit, that was the first question I asked him after the game. And he basically said the same thing, that that he was 100% raring to go and ready for today after getting that extra day. Uh, it was an obvious question to ask because you get into a spot where we've talked about the wear and tear on this bullpen. And a guy like Pallante, it was very public on Saturday that he felt he needed that extra day. But I think that was kind of after the Colorado series and that, Altitude messes with guys. Ryan Helsley had talked about, too, the altitude maybe making you feel uh, not so great in the immediate aftermath of leaving Denver for that kind of series. And so had the extra day, insisted that he was raring to go. Both guys said the same thing. So I, you know, you, you can think what you want about that. And I know that might be a conspiracy that people say, oh, he never should have been in the game because he's coming off of not necessarily an injury, but a period where he felt he needed some extra time physically. And so that would be your prerogative. You could you could totally go that way. Both guys said that that wasn't a factor here, so I'm okay with it. 
Um, and then you get to the decision to actually go with Palante specifically just from a baseball perspective. That part I don't think is as much of a of an issue or a secret. He has been really good against left-handed batters historically. He's a guy that even as a right-handed pitcher, he's got reverse splits, right? He is able to get that ground ball to the second baseman. We talked about it just a few days ago that they run the numbers and they can almost guarantee against certain hitters that that is the kind of contact he is going to produce against a left-handed batter. Unfortunately, in this case, he did not do that. Um, the first reason was with Corbin Carroll up to bat, he didn't throw him a strike. And Palante said it was unacceptable to walk him on four pitches. Uh, he knows it, it's important. It's critical to be ready for the first guy that you face in an outing. It said, you know, he, he kind of stopped himself at first, said, I, I don't want to be afraid to face. And he said, well, I wasn't afraid to face him, but I didn't execute and throw my pitches and, and give him strikes in that in that moment. And that's unacceptable. So he owned that. And he was hard on himself. I'll say this about the post game with Palante. I mean, he took it hard. Um, he wants to be successful out there, obviously. And and this was a game where you can look at the one swing from Paven Smith and say, hey, that cost the game. That was four runs worth of, of Diamondback scoring. The Cardinals only had three in the game. You can pinpoint it right to there. And Andre Palante, man, he answered his questions at his locker like he was fully aware of that. And so you feel for a guy. Um, but yeah, the effectiveness is is an issue that the Cardinals have kind of got to take a look at. In Milwaukee, similar thing happened uh, to Palante. And then, so, but first of all, it was command. Didn't throw a strike to Corbin Carroll, who, by the way, had his first walk of the season. He and Jordan Walker, uh, two rookies, tied with one walk to this point in, in the campaign. Uh, the rookie of the year battle wages on. Although Jordan Walker's going through a little bit of a slump right now. He'll, he'll definitely need to turn it around to be even in the stratosphere of Corbin Carroll, who's got an OPS over 800 and four homers, six stolen bases. He's been a, an absolute stud for the D-backs, uh, but I, I digress. But the Paven Smith at Batman, it was a curveball that Palante just left hanging there. And if if you get a curve, a spinner that that finds that much of the plate, it's like it, it's, it was just a, a rainbow on a tee is really the way it was. And Palante talked about after the game, that's a pitch that he would like to see lower. He's trying to almost have that underneath the strike zone, honestly. If you execute it perfectly, maybe that's a chase pitch for uh, a spot in a 2-2 count where you do. He said, I had a ball, uh, one ball to play with in a 2-2 count. I want that to be lower, and he just he knows he bots the execution of that pitch. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a bad spot to have it happen. Ollie Marmel said the same thing. It's just a a spinner, a curve that he spun up there, and it it, it hung up there, and uh, bad time, bad timing for it, obviously. But it is uh, something that happens. Uh, and Palante, I think, will be doing everything in his power to to try and correct it. Uh, so, like my thought is, I don't blame Ali Marmel, and you're gonna probably hear that going, "Oh, of course, Brendan's caping for Ali again." But in this case, like historically, that is what he has been. He's been a guy that can uh, against left-handed batters get the job done for the Cardinals. Uh, that's why we talked a lot about in spring, maybe they would need one fewer lefty because they could almost use uh, Palante as a pseudo left-handed relief pitcher uh, in those situations. And they have, especially with runners on base that want to bring him in. Runners on base, less than two outs. That is an opportunity against a lefty for him to get that ground ball and it turn into a double play. Maybe where I would, would say the Cardinals um, treated this like maybe a blanket scenario of, okay, does do we check the box of, Runners on base, less than two outs, uh, force out at any base, left-handed batter up. Okay, Palante. Maybe they just checked that box, but specific to Corbin Carroll, I mentioned he's a guy with six stolen bases on the year. He is going to be a hard guy to double up. And so even if you get 
uh, a hard ground ball, it may not be a guarantee to go 4-6-3 or even 6-4-3, whatever the case might be, to get out of that inning unscathed beyond the run that was allowed on the, the Flaherty homer. So that might be the one spot where I would go, yeah, you maybe could have gone a different direction than that. And they had to get him ready in advance. And Ollie said these things happen quickly, and so that's why you've got Palante warming up early on in that inning, not because they thought, you know, Jack Flaherty looks like he's laboring. It honestly didn't go that way. Jack Flaherty looked tremendous, and then he didn't. It happened very quickly with the home run, the double, and then the walk. Three at-bats later, you're bringing Palante into that game. He'd only thrown about 13 pitches, I think, because it was 77. I looked up on the scoreboard, so it was either 77 or 78 depending on if they posted the final one of the sixth. And then 90 pitches is, is when Flaherty left the game. So about Baker's dozen, uh, that's all the time that it took for things to get out of hand for him in the seventh after he had been absolutely cruising. And so I do want to say that's my takeaway is that Jack Flaherty is going to be in a great great spot, I think, moving forward. Um, but didn't get it done tonight when it comes to the box score because he's charged with four runs. But, man, you got to remember this. He was not on the field for the last of those two runs, and I – at, again, I'm not going to repeat what he said, um, but if you saw the gifts, if you saw uh, the, the broadcast, you could read his lips and know that there was a, a pair of expletives that came out where he was not happy to be taken out of that game. Um, did say after the fact, though, and I was going to play the clip for you, but uh, it's it's kind of short. No, actually, I will. I'll go ahead and play Jack Flaherty talking about being removed from the game in that spot. Uh, and then, you know, obviously a, a little bit of a reference to, to uh, the reaction when he did depart, but... You can hear from Flaherty, and then we'll play a couple of the other questions. Um, you'll, you'll get a sense, I think, for Jack that he was not in the, the best of moods about the way the game unfolded, but, hey, neither was uh, was Cardinals Nation. So here's Jack Flaherty after his start tonight. You wanted, look like you wanted to stay in there. Yeah. I mean, there's never a point where you ever want to come out of the game. If you do, you probably shouldn't be playing this game. Jack, how do you manage the frustration of pitching well and not seeing the results that you want, both in the box score and the final result? Um, I don't know what you mean by that. I... You know, I said again. How do you manage your frustration when you know you're out there pitching and executing well, but it's not necessarily showing up in the box score or the final? You just result? keep you just keep pitching. You just keep focusing on making pitch after pitch. That's all you can do is continue making pitches until um, it's your time to come out of the game. So that's all you can do is continue to make pitches one after the other until it's your time to come out. So I mean, I, for me, that's all I can do is continue to make pitches. Outside of the end result, do you feel like your stuff was better? I know you know you've been trying to work on some things along. The way. I think I pitched pretty well. I just, all I can do is continue to make pitches till it's my time to come out of the game. Sorry, Doc. The um, the pitch to um, Orte was up, but did you feel like the pitch to Guriel was down? It was low and in. It was a good pitch. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know why we're focusing on like the two pitches of the game that. Like, the, the pitch to Marte, he beat me backside, okay. Um, Guriel used to want to be aggressive and, and fill up the zone. Um, and he put a good swing on a pitch. So there was Jack Flaherty after the game, and you could maybe tell a little bit of the irritation. Uh, didn't love some of the questions. But, I mean, for me, he, he says, why are we focusing on the two pitches? The, the, the two pitches are where the game changed. You know, and and it is true. He should get his due for the the many many great pitches he made uh, previously in the game. But where things began to unravel, not only for Jack, and, and he didn't get a chance to finish that out, and so that honestly could be where a lot of the frustration is coming from. Like, I got myself into a bit of a jam there. I wanted to be able to work out of it, and he probably feels like he has the pitch count 
uh, to be able to to be given some leeway there, and he's only at 90 pitches. You know what he said coming off the mound. And so there's probably frustration there as he's answered some of these questions. Um, but, you know, he's not going to say that, and nor should he. It's probably smart to just say, all right, you know, my emotion or whatever it was coming off the mound, that's one thing, but I'm not going to rip my manager or do anything like that in, in the postgame. And so that leads to him sort of just repeating the same lines that you heard over and over, which I get it. That's uh, that's that's a way to make sure you don't say anything that you you wish you hadn't said in the heat of a frustration after after a game like that. Again, I think he pitched really well. I think there were a few pitches that uh, you know he might wish he had back, or you could tip your cap to the opponent and say that's where they got you. Uh, but at the same time, those are the pitches that that are going to have fans talking and have uh, media probably asking questions after the game. And so that that's just the nature of what it was. Uh, can understand the frustration, though. To pitch as well as he had, I think he pitched, this is the best he's pitched all year, and the results are worse than several of the outings that he's had this season when you consider uh, the four-run runs. And then to not have an opportunity to maybe work your way out of it, he's talking about wanting to, and I, I, cut, I cut off the answer there that he gave, um, but he would continue to, to go on and say, that at that point, you're just trying to manage the inning and say, how can we limit the damage to, to just make sure it's the one run? Even after you get a man on second base with the double, trying to figure that out, and then you walk the next guy, but that's still the goal is he's he's in gamer, gamer mode trying to figure it out. Um, but all he takes the ball, gives it to Palante, and uh, you know the rest is history. I don't think it's a crazy decision to, to go to Palante, as I mentioned, with the lefty setup. But the one thing I will say is, and I, I think I started too earlier and then sort of trailed off and wanted to give you the Flaherty audio, um, a situation where I feel like if you're looking for a double play, maybe difficult to get it against Corbin Carroll because of his speed. And so if you're looking to get that one out there, and then maybe you can say we can get the ground ball to get out of the inning, the strikeout might be the thing you go for. And I think Jack is the guy that has a chance to give you that compared to Palante. Um the ground ball could have certainly worked out with Palante. You just take the out at first, the runners move up, and then you get one more, and you're out of the inning. Uh, but then when he when when Palante walks the first guy, I mean that that puts yourself in a really bad position. And then he hangs the curveball instead of getting it below the zone. I mean he wanted that to be right below the the strike zone, below the belt. And so on that pitch, it, it's safe to say he missed his location by multiple feet. And uh, and and you saw the reaction too. I tweeted out the screenshot from Bally. A Flaherty just kind of looking out and, and uh, you know, has the eyes going, wasn't happy to see it. Cardinals fans weren't happy to see it, right? Like, but if you're the guy that was responsible for two of those base runners out there on the pond, you're thinking, man, I could have done that, <laughs> right? Like, I could have given up the, the game with another home run. Um, and so I, I think just frustration of not being able to, to be given the leeway to see yourself through a moment like that. Uh, on a day, too, where, where Flaherty really had pitched so well. Frustrating, and, uh, you know, Cardinals fans are frustrated. Jack Flaherty's frustrated. Andre Pallante's frustrated, right? Like I said, like he wants to be uh, nailing down those spots like the Cardinals have been able to trust him to do in the past. Uh, but all the way around, it was a struggle tonight for the Cardinals, and uh, that, that's why they end up where they are in another 0-1 series hole uh, for the sixth, seventh time. However many series they played, man, that's how many times they started down 0-1 in a series this season, still have not been able to win an opener. One more interesting angle from a pitching perspective that we haven't covered yet that I think is worth bringing up is something that we were all kind of wondering up in the press box as this game was going on when it was 6-1 to one before the Alec Burleson home run, which made it 6-3 to three and maybe changes the scope of things. 
the question was asked, like, well, why is Jordan Hicks not in this game or at least getting ready to be? Uh, because the whole thing with Jordan Hicks was, well, we're not going to have him go to the minor leagues. Um, it, you know, we, we're going to have him work this out at the big league level, but in lower leverage situations. And another thing, and I talked about it in the last podcast, go check it out if you haven't seen it, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, the whole, the whole works. I talked about the Jordan Hicks situation and neglected something that another writer brought up to me that I, I really wasn't thinking about, but makes a ton of sense. If Jordan Hicks were hypothetically willing to, to accept an assignment to the minor leagues, if he's down there a certain number of days, it could impact his service time and perhaps give the Cardinals an extra year of control. I don't know the exact number of days that that would be, but that would obviously be something that if you're Jordan Hicks, you can't, you can't have that, right? Your, your, your free agency is coming up now. Could it be a situation where if he struggles, his free agency arrives sooner than anticipated? Yeah, that could be. Uh, but for right now, I think that the, the prospect of Jordan Hicks returning to form is too tantalizing for the Cardinals to give up on. And so he's got the leverage to say, you know, I would want to, I would want to stay here and do it here. Uh, again, we don't know if that was asked of him, if he, what he responded. Uh, that's not information that I believe has been reported or anybody knows. So uh, just speculation on on that side of things. But it would also make sense if you add the the service time aspect. If I'm Jordan Hicks, man, there's no way I'm accepting an assignment to the minors. Like, totally understand it from that point. And that was something that I really didn't think about. And and you might say as a Cardinals fan, well, he should do what's best for the team. Whatever. Like, I I totally understand you're a Cardinals fan. That's where your allegiance is going to be. But let's be let's be real for a second. When it comes to free agency, and it comes to to a guy's career. If you if you willingly give up your leverage in a situation like that for something you do not have to do, I, I think that would probably be a, a career misstep. Now, you might say if he does not accept an assignment to the minors, could it be a situation where down the road the Cardinals could DFA him or something? Yeah, I mean, that's possible. Um, but I don't think anybody's near that point yet with the Jordan Hicks situation. Um, they want to try to get him into lower leverage spots and have him work his way back from there and try to find himself and find his form. Okay, if all that's true, though, man, would this not have been an opportunity for it? Like I had just said on the last podcast, I don't know how many of those chances are going to come up. Actually, I think I said it on the radio show on KTGR on the big show. Uh, talked about, well, how many times is this going to really come up that you're going to have a perfect picture, perfect opportunity to use Jordan Hicks? Well, they were down by five, and this may have been a spot. They go with Hennessy's Cabrera, and then you get the home run from Burleson, and Ollie Marmel's answer to that at that point was, three-run game, you're just trying to keep it as close as you can, and at a minimum, you force Arizona to use their closer, Andrew Chafin, which is exactly what they did. So once Burleson hits the home run, I'm I'm kind of of the mind, too, that that's a three-run game. Make them use their closer. That could burn that guy for tomorrow or for later in the series. Benefit to the Cardinals to make, him, make them do that. And so totally understand it from that perspective. But before the Burleson home run, you know, you, you kind of saw him stretching a little bit in the eighth talking about Jordan Hicks, but he never really started warming up. And so if there was a chance to do it, it would have been then when it was six to one and they, they elect to, uh, to not go that route. And they did. So they kind of really com committed to that decision. I guess I would say before Burleson hit the home run. So there was really no, uh, even in a six to one game, it kind of seems like, and, and maybe the timing on that is off to where it happens right then, and they could have, uh, maybe if Burleson doesn't get a home run, he gets an out, they put Hicks right back onto the, the stretch program, and he warms up, and he could come into the game. But the, I don't think the timing was such that it would have allowed for that. So I think they weren't going to bring him in in a 6-1 to one game either. 
uh, but certainly not in a six to three game. So just a little bit of an update there with Jordan Hicks stuff. Uh, I, I put a YouTube specific video out on the, all the Hicks stuff. It's about 15 minutes long. If you don't want to listen to the whole episode of B shave daily from yesterday, uh, Sunday, I guess that was my, the, my days get off. You guys know when I'm, when I'm here at one in the morning, uh, but you can check that out on YouTube, youtube.com slash at B Schaefer 12. Uh, would love to get some more subscriptions on the channel. So if you're just watching this video and you're new to my content, please hit that subscribe button and then go right on over to Spotify so you can make sure uh, to be locked in on all the audio stuff too. The Spotify followers, it hasn't really gone up in a couple of days, but I have more Spotify followers today than I did a couple of weeks ago, and that's because of you guys following. So uh, thank you so much for doing it. Rate and review me as well. That helps me a ton as I continue to try to pump out content here. Uh, I got a message from my buddy Scott who said, you're going to burn yourself out doing all this. You need to bring some guests on and and do some things like that. And I, down the road, would love to get some guests, but I got to be honest, I don't know many guests that are going to be willing to uh, to put the the hours in that I'm putting in at 1.30 in the morning for free. Like, you know, I it's nice to think I could get anybody to join the show, but also you have to, they have to want to do it. So uh, 1.30 in the morning is, is legit when I'm finishing this up. So that's just to give you an idea, trying to give you guys some content all year. Let me know though what kind of content you want. And sometimes I might be able to make it happen. I'll keep in mind trying to have guests is something that people would enjoy. Uh, but seriously, give me your feedback in the YouTube comments. Uh, let me know at bshafer12 on Twitter. I uh, would love to have uh, some more knowledge about what you guys like in terms of Cardinals content. But the one thing you can know is that I'm, I'm going to be here, you know, barring uh, some, some summer vacations and some different things. And even then, I'll probably try to make sure I stick with uh, what we're doing on the, on the content side. Um, we're going to be here pretty much every day. So hopefully uh, I've been demonstrating that so far and you guys are along for the ride. So thank you guys so much. Uh, that is going to do it for this edition of the show. Uh, appreciate it. Let me know once again, at bshafer12 on Twitter, any comments, feedback uh, that you would like to get out there to me. I'm very accessible in that way. Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you next time on Shafe Daily. Peace.